Hi, everyone. Welcome to Invisibility, the podcast series where we uh, explore the world of people with intellectual disability inside the larger disability community to understand them. Um, and my co-pilot again, Don. Phil, welcome. it is great to be back. I tell you what, this is unearthing gold every episode. So if people haven't tuned in, if this is their first one, we would strongly suggest they go back and listen to episode yes. one, listen to episode two, three, four, whatever yes. you haven't heard, get on it. We've got a great special guest today, Don. I tell you what, I'm excited today, Phil. I get excited with oxygen, but this fun and it's tipping <laughs> over the edge. Because it's all about really media and seeing people with disability. So our special guest today is Tracy, who's the new CEO. Well, she's been there a while now, but um, Tracy heads up Bus Stop Films. Tracy, hello. How are you? Oh, hello. I'm, I'm wonderful. And thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, Bus Stop Films, I've been hearing about them for ever since I started here at Wallara 10 years ago. You do great things. We are going to talk a bit about Bus Stop Films a bit later later but I think we'll start if that's okay Tracy because you've got a really interesting personal story around um, this topic as well so why don't we start with um, with your personal and your family sort of uh, history in that space. Okay so um, my name is Tracy I uh, live in Sydney in the Shoveland, Sutherland Shire a Sharkies supporter as we've chatted earlier <laughs> um, I live with disability I'm hard of hearing. I started to lose my hearing um, in my early 40s. I'm also the parent of three children, two of which live with disability. My eldest daughter, Aurora, is deaf and has had hearing loss since birth. And my middle child, Sage, um, who is almost 16, has an acquired brain in injury from uh, contracting meningitis as a toddler. So disability uh, in this has been part of my life for a long time. I also have a 10-year-old son, Zan, and there he is completely a-okay. He's just a little rat bag as 10-year-old boys tend to be. Um, <laughs> and he's very wonderful. And, you know, I have a wonderful husband, Greg, and I have a great life here in the Shire. So I've been um, part of the disability community, as I said, for a very long time. Um, but Aurora's hearing loss and that diagnosis was something new to me. And it also came in a time when um, Sage was born with a number of other health problems. So I was sort of dealing with that with a newborn child who was very unwell. And it was a bit of a shock to me to... Um, one, identify that Aurora had a hearing loss, which I picked up because she would stand sideways to the TV with her better ear to the TV. Um, and that diagnosis was something new because it was a community that I had never been part of. And I learned along with her um, around the deaf community. And, uh, you know, sadly, I was told to raise her as a hearing child and not to teach her Auslan, which I now totally regret because I know much better about um, deaf identity and deaf culture. And we consider ourselves as proudly deaf um, and part of the deaf community. And um, as she got older and uh, questioned her place in life and what opportunities would be afforded to her and looked to explore what she might do when she was leaving school and, you know, as you do when you're an academically gifted child tossing up your ideas, I might do law, but how can I be a lawyer if I can't hear? So we go literally Googled deaf lawyers, came across Catherine Armfield, who is the current um, chair of Deaf Sports Australia, and that's how I got connected to the organisation. I reached out to them, said, see, Aurora, deaf people can do amazing, wonderful things here's this amazing deaf lawyer who's um, part of this wonderful organization uh, and then I got connected to them as well and so I've been on the board of Deaf Sports Australia for four years now or maybe a bit longer because like forever it's part of my like, who I am and I'm very active in the deaf community um, and then you know flipping the time around I started to lose my hearing 
And Aurora came with me to the audiologist as I had my hearing test and, you know, patted me on the back and said, there, there, mum, you'll be okay. And, you know, we both wear hearing aids now and it's changed my life. Wow. Yeah, Don, you've got a bit of history uh, in that area too. I do indeed, Phil. I've got uh, hearing loss. And funny that my dad has the same thing. My dad is deaf in the left ear. We always just thought it was the long driving from country down to the city when I'd come down to get new legs. It was my job to uh, to keep Dad awake because we'd get up early in the morning and, and as we'd drive down to the city, I, the only way I could keep him awake is I thought I'd sing to every song. I thought he deliberately went there for his <laughs> left ear so he didn't have to hear me singing. But, uh, yeah, it's quite interesting, isn't it, when you've got a, a connection that you, you're almost in an elite space with one of five kids. So anything mm. that I could talk to Dad about that he solely understood, and I'm sure you'd have that that same connection with her or Oh, absolutely. Um, we've been learning Auslan together. We've done it um, in workshops and we've learned it at home through a great organisation called Sign Here, which is a local service to here where I am in Sydney. And that's brought us to, together. And I say that I'm proudly deaf and proud of my deaf cultural connections as I am of my Italian heritage. It's just part of um, our psyche and who we are. And it is, um, you know, something that Aurora and I, I share together. Um, and it, that my connection to my children and supporting them in their opportunities um, in all aspects of their life, including film and TV, is sort of how I sort of fell in love with bus stop films and what they've been doing as well. So um, it's it's a real privilege to have this job and all that it brings together. And uh, it is my perfect melting pot of social justice and creativity, and I love it. And um, you know, I love what we're doing in in this space. But tell me, I, I'm fascinated because the the space of disability is so obviously it's a massive discussion. Everyone's got opinion, which is fantastic. Mm. Tracy, have you found that easier? You are very comfortable and vocal and strong in in your representation of that. How important is it for you to be comfortable in that space before others can come with you? I mean, it's very personal in how you identify your disability in yourself and what part that takes amongst just your own psyche is up to the individual. I um, I guess I've come at identifying as someone that's living with a disability quite calmly and very proudly because I was already welcomed into the community. So because I've been active in the deaf community for a long time, already had lots of friends, um, lots of support networks, and uh, I'd watched it from the outside in as a parent of a child with a disability. So it's um, it was just another part of me. I didn't have any, you know... I often say, and I'm sure you hear this as well, I mean, we know it is, that you can come part of the disability community at any point in your life. It could be a mm. temporary thing. It could be a permanent thing. It's the only group in the society that you can pretty much join at any point. You can't change your cultural identity. I can't wake up tomorrow and I'm perhaps Indigenous, etc. but I might wake up tomorrow and I might have a disability. So for me coming into it later, um, it was it was a bit of a shock and a transition, but I own it and um, I, I see it as um, deaf, uh, deaf pride and a deaf cultural community as well as the disability community. So I'm very open about that. That's who I am. Um, and I guess I'm taking on all the advice I've given my daughter as she's grown up, you know, not to be ashamed about wearing hearing aids. And I'd say that they're um, makers like, we're like X-Men. You know, you have a prosthetic leg and I, I get to take my phone calls and listen to my podcasts in my ears. I think that's really bloody amazing. Everyone else is can buy cool. those um, AirPods and you know, <laughs> I've got it 24-7. So, you know, there is 
some positive about it and uh, I'm I'm losing my vision as well which that challenges me more more so from you know it's hard to have a shower when you can't see what's on the bottle and trying to put makeup on when you can't really see what you're doing is a little bit tricky um that that pains me a little bit more from a practical side of things I would love not to have to wear glasses but you know it is what it is my daughter is 18 years old so I had 18 years of connected to the deaf community so now I just feel more welcome and part of it I'm inside the tent so to speak yeah, and uh, that's a good expression, the tent, because it's a big tent. We like that one. There's a lot of different camps there, and we hear a lot from certain parts of the broad church, um, but we don't hear a lot from people with intellectual disability, and that's what this series is about, trying to unpack that a little bit. I just want to say on Auslan too, thinking about that, that it's quite common where I work uh, to see Auslan signs up on walls and things because a lot of the people that we support um, use some Auslan signs for lunch or toilet break or whatever or for basic communication. So there's a lot more people that can benefit from Auslan, if you like, than just the hearing impaired, you know. There's a communication impaired and um, I, can't, I, I can't believe really how quickly my daughter embraced Auslan. And I started teaching her in the back of the car myself, you right. know, and um, we tried devices and technology things. And she's now texting me. I think you, you do a lot of text with your daughter, yeah. Aurora, Tracy, you were saying. Yeah. My daughter, Phoebe, is very cheeky with her texts, yeah. right? Um, and it's so great, obviously, the, to, the ability to communicate in whatever shape or form um, is so important. So let's turn now to Bust Up Films a little bit because you said that it was the perfect melting pot of your your own personal journey with your family, et cetera, and then wanting to tell stories and advocate and things like that. So how did the Bus Stop Films come about, Tracy? So Bus Stop Films was started um, in 2009 by our wonderful co-founders, Genevieve Claysmith and Eleanor Winkler, two friends and producers who um, had a passion for inclusion. And um, Genevieve met our wonderful ambassador, Gerard O'Dwyer doing a project as a baby filmmaker um, with Down syndrome, New South Wales. And Gerard had to want to be an actor, but to not have any pathways open to him. So the, they joined forces and they made an inclusive film called Be My Brother uh, with a strategy to have people with disability working in the crew as well as on camera with Gerard's amazing acting. And that film won Tropfest and uh, Gerard won Best Actor. And there birthed the genesis of Bus Stop Films. And from that, uh, Genevieve, because she's just such an amazing human and an amazing filmmaker and, and, and great strategist, developed a full curriculum of film studies for primarily aimed at people living with intellectual disability. And that has grown into a full year, 40-week program. We now have classes in Sydney, Parramatta, Canberra, Wollongong, and hopefully soon if the borders open up, <laughs> Brisbane yeah. and then, of course, Melbourne and Adelaide coming. We also have an outreach program that we've been delivering in Mongolia. And our primary focus is around that education through the programs around creating amazing films, top quality, beautiful films, which screen all around the world and win amazing awards and change minds and lives through those, those beautiful films. The advocacy that we do within the film industry around authentic casting, uh, representation, ownership of stories. And we, it's a holistic approach to film studies through an inclusive filmmaking process. But also, too, we have 
a remit in that we're supporting the ecosystem of the screen industry. We're employing emerging filmmakers in our classrooms. They come and work with us for a couple of years. They make amazing films. It changes the practice in which they create their films. Also too, when other crew come and work on our projects, they often remark about how our sets are just different. There's a different, it's still buzzing and it's creative and you've got budgets and timelines, but there's a different notion and a, a feel of people really wanting to be there to share their knowledge because each of our students is then partnered with an industry mentor on a set so they get to learn new skills. And we are, we're, we're Oscar ready. What we're doing now through Bus Stop Films, the Oscars are now cottoned on to that and changed the way that they will approach um, eligibility for that best film Oscar for films coming in from 2023 onwards I think and their representation guidelines that you must to be eligible for best actor there must be inclusion of people from underrepresented groups and it I list them including people with disability in um, I to their discredit they could do a little bit better people with disability is not considered in that lead actor role but heads of department and there has to be um, paid employment opportunities for people with disability on those films in order to be eligible to be considered right, right. Okay, that's so yep. your films like born on fourth of july rain man would not make the cut even your other films like titanic would not make the cut because they haven't included people with disability from other marginalized groups in those crew roles as attachments wow. so they're changing it and what oscar does is going to affect the rest of Hollywood, which will affect the Australian screen industry. So sure. what we're doing, we're already ahead of the game. We're Oscar ready. We are on that red carpet ready to go because we've been doing that at Bus Stop Films for so long. Um, so we, we're hoping, we've got a grant application in to take a delegation to LA in January 2022 to showcase what we're doing here in terms of how we're flipping the model of filmmaking. Also too here, um, you know, it is employer person from a disability, marginalised group or disability unlocks a certain amount of funding from government agencies, but it's a ticker box thing. We flipped the model in that we have people with disability involved in the development and the execution of that film, not just hired a person with intellectual disability. Awesome, now I can get my $500,000 funding from the state government. We flipped that model. So the Oscars changing will have far-reaching effects on what we see on all of our screens. It is amazing. Congratulations, because that's a it's an awesome thing when you look at this space and you know that it's far more than tokenistic. Yeah. Uh, often, you know, that's what we've seen in this space, in the disability space for so long. It's been, yeah, let's tick that box, whereas this, you know, goes well beyond that. And I love the thought of the, of the actors, the creators, the the directors, that every there's a, a role to play all film. And uh, as opposed to my small bit, Phil, I was a uh, body double. Were you? I was a body double yes. in the movie uh, Little Fish. The uh, I don't know if you remember seeing that. It was Kate, uh, not Kate Blanchett. Yeah, it was Kate Blanchett. Yes. It was Hugo Weaving. Yes. I was the body double in there. So, really? Uh, yes, indeed I was. So uh, I don't want to give it away, but the, the bit where you see the amputee Martin Henderson I was body doubling for. Oh. So, uh, amazing yeah. film shot in southwest Sydney, exploring the underbelly of addiction and a few other intense moments. Yeah. Very intense moments. It's an amazing thing to be on that set and obviously to – to see it unfold. But obviously what you're doing though, Tracy, is is giving people uh, the complete picture of that. What what is what is your end goal? Like when we talk about the market, you know, are we trying to open the door for people, uh, able-bodied people to view in? Are we really just making it 
awesome for the, the people with a disability? Like what what's the what do you see the win? The, the win is both. We look at filmmaking from end to end. So we involve people with disability from the get-go, whether that, and that is the initial let's make a film about X to developing the storyline, to working on the lighting, the colour palette, the set design, the wardrobe. They're involved at every step of the way. They're involved in the casting. You know, they've been doing Zoom casting sessions and auditioning actors and providing feedback. They work with the director on the shot list, working with the crew on the day on the production and then in that post-production um, so it's that end-to-end involvement. It's beyond, oh, tick a box because I've cast the person um, with disability as a background extra in my scene. And the industry here is, is changing and it is progressing and there's a lot of opportunities. Um, you know, in Australia we have an industry, screen industry that does rely heavily on government um, support, which is fantastic, and there's a few strategies that support that. Our end game is that people with disability are involved holistically on both sides of the camera, that they're developing their own projects. They're not brought in as an endpoint to review a script as a consultant. They're brought in in the beginning as a writer on a project. And it's not saying that people with disability should only work with other people with disability because that's not how collaboration works. You've got allies and partners and creative collaborations and filmmaking is an, an experience that relies heavily on everyone's own individual expertise coming to the table and being brought together. And we want to see more opportunities for people with disability in our industry, the same as we see retail, hospitality, the trades, manufacturing. They have really got on board in terms of employing people with disability. The screen industry employs hundreds of thousands of people, myriad of roles. Why can't we look at them and say, why can't that role be undertaken by a person with disability? At all levels, so there's above and the below the line crews. So your heads of department, your writer, director, producer, as well as your hair and makeup or your catering or your gaffer or any of those other roles. That's what we want to see, what we want to get to. Um, where we operate out of New South Wales and we've had great support from the New South Wales government to make an amazing short film, um, Groundhog Night, which was beautiful, amazing. And now we're developing that into a longer form for TV. So to get those opportunities open the door. And that was, again, a project that was holistic had people with disability on both sides of the camera and provided real and tangible employment opportunities for cast and crew in that. Um, it's authentic casting and writing roles that include people with disability and putting them on the screen is great. It's wonderful, but it's a start. It's involving people with disability on both sides and allowing them to share with and tell their own stories and to have um, ownership and to be able to partner and connect and share the stories from their point of view. Um, we're getting there, but there's, there's still a while to go. Uh, and we're part of, we're only a small organisation, but we've got a great outcomes and we want to see more of it. That's a good way to start. And you, you've taken it and you're proving it goes further than that, but yep. that compliance piece, mm. it reminds me of down here in Melbourne, I'm sure as well in Sydney and across Australia, but the big infrastructure projects, if you want to build a metro tunnel or a freeway yep. or whatever, you've got to meet certain social procurement targets in those big contracts and disability, Indigenous, you know, there's certain things in those huge contracts. And it's meant for us, Tracy, when you come down, we'll show you around. We've had lend lease and, you know, huge uh, engineering construction companies knock on our door and, and give us work um, to help them meet those targets. Now, 
that's a great way to start because then they give us the work and realize what we can do and they come to us and say oh so we are changing those 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 targets whether it's oscars or social mm -hmm. procurement infrastructure that get that forces the conversation to start and begin yeah. the relationship and then they realize wow we wouldn't have never never have done this if we weren't forced to in order to comply with something so and it shows um you know, I always say we've got a work-ready workforce of 90 amazing emerging filmmakers, but we've also got support workers who are set trained, ready to go, that know what to do when, you know, the, the director yells, going for a take. They're re we're ready. We've come here. Make your film in Australia. We've got the crews. And we've also got crews that are experienced in working alongside a person with disability on set and, you know, can show that they had a really valuable and positive experience. We can also show that... We finish our films on budget, on time, and we deliver high quality content. So we're, we're already doing that. We've got that great example. And I often compare the screen industry to the production, to the construction industry, because it's having, um, you know, when you finish building the West Connects, you move on to the light rail, you move on to the next big project, yes. you take those yes. crews and experience with you. And the screen industry is the same. You might wrap on a project on a feature film and you'll move on to a TV series and those crews mm. move through and we should see the employment of people with disability in those pathways and those pipelines similar to what construction does because construction and infrastructure and manufacture and retail hospitality employs a number of people with disability. The screen industry has been this exclusive industry that you can't get into unless you know someone who knows someone um, right. and so therefore our, what we see on screen is often exclusive in what it, the stories it's brought to us it all intertwines I remember someone saying to me one day what is you know it's that corny question i don't like it but it does make you think they say what does success look like or something like that and I said, I want to be driving down the freeway in Melbourne. It's the Monash Freeway, but, you know, just going down a major thoroughfare and I want to see billboards up there, you know. I want to see TV shows. I want to. I remember going into a newsagent and thinking as a carer and a parent and now working in the sector, what am I interested in? And I was interested in what do people with disabilities do on their holidays, you know, where are they working, you know, what's happening in this whole space. And I looked at all the magazines and there was surfing and outdoors Ooh. and, you know, whatever. A, you know, a million sort of little niche interests and there was nothing, you know, that covered any of that. I looked at the TV and all I saw was on on one of those backyard blitz or something, if there was some someone who had a car accident, you know, they got together and gave them a new backyard and there were tears everywhere, you know, which is that sort of, you know, uh, emotional, you know, ex 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 extreme type of thing. There was no... Um, here's what it's like day to day. Here's what people are doing. They're, they're getting out of bed. They're making, they're getting on with their life. You know, they're not sitting begging for charity, you know, um, and some of their lives are hard and some of them, you know, but they're just getting on with it, you know, and they're falling out in, in and out of love or they're trying to get a job or they're stuck at home with parents that are like, and I couldn't see it anyway. Yeah, know? right. And that's the invisibility we're talking about. And it's a changing of the lens to, from the, the pity lens of disability. Um, the inspiration porn and, oh, look, you know, you're, isn't she doing well despite her disability? Well, no, she's just doing well. And similarly, people with disability do really boring stuff. They, like, you know, pay bills and go to school. They, but they also do considered to be exceptional stuff. And um, I hate 
but I have a love-hate relationships with the videos of the deaf child hears for the first time because I remember poignantly, I did film Aurora when she got her first hearing aids and I just thought, you know, she was like, oh, my gosh, the fridge makes a sound and the traffic makes a sound. And I thought this, as a parent, she was 12 and hearing my naggy, awful, whiny, shy, tiny voice for the very first time. And, um, you know, we've got that. And she's made a film out of it that she shared, but I would never share that. Like, you know, I would like to give ownership of the, those stories and we want to see more people with disability just doing stuff. Like Paul Nanari always says he wants to play a really bad guy in a movie because often we see people with disability and they're the pitiful, sad, oh, he's like, no way, I want to be there. I want to play the bad guy. I want to be hey, the- he would play it well too. He's got he's got that bloody bald look about him. He'd be good for that. <laughs> Oh, I don't know how to take him. He's really intense. I'm like, he's so nice. He's so lovely because he's got a great resting bitch face, but he loves that. Um, yes. He he wants to flip that storyline that people with disability are always either cheery all the time or there's someone to be pitied. He wants to play the bad guy. I love the way you were talking about in, involving emerging filmmakers um, to change their minds about what's possible, right, as they go on for their careers because it's one thing to tell an industry don or an employer about, you know, it's a good thing to be inclusive and have a think about this and have a think about that. But it's another thing to show them. Yes. Yeah. If you're immersed in that set and, and with bus stop or whatever, or you see the work that they create and you get you you that's that's far more powerful than reading a here's how to be inclusion booklet. Yes, yeah? absolutely. And when you have a look at your advisory board, I uh, see Paul Nanari on there. He's a, uh, an awesome human and it's no surprise that he's uh, adding great value to Bustop and uh, and the work you're doing because he that's his way of thinking. Actually, we thought he was displaced when he was being a sportsman. To be honest, he, he should have been in the arts all along, so, but he always was. He's a fantastic um, part of the Bustop Films family. Yes, he's on our advisory board and it was through a suggestion of Paul's um, that we really connect to the screen industry that we developed Inclusion in Action, which is our training program for the screen industry which we launched this um, only a couple of months ago. And it's a training workshop aimed at all participants in the screen industry, writer, director, producers, down to hair and makeup, policy people, to get them more disability confident in working alongside or employing or collaborating with people with disability. Because we find um, there's a lot of want and a desire to do it when we chat to production companies. Oh, yes, I really want to hire them, but I'm afraid I'm afraid because I'm going to say the wrong thing or it's going to cost me more or they're going to slow up the production. And so part of that workshop is dispelling those myths around, you know, why why employing with people with disabilities is a challenge when it's actually not. It's around reframing that and, you know, talking about the language of disability and talking about the NDIS and job access and other things that the screen industry hasn't got itself familiar with, but it should. And also, too, chatting with them about um, a lot of, and that's why we work with emerging filmmakers because they're taught at film school the auteur theory of filmmaking, which is that you know the director, and then everyone else follows under them. My vision, my mm. way, the highway. You only see it through my lens. And we flatten that down so it's a more collaborative process. I just did a shoot on the weekend in Canberra. Um, it was our first ever inclusively made musical called The Enchanted Ball. It was a brilliant set. It was so much fun. And in Canberra, it's a smaller community. Uh, of filmmakers and mainly, you know, their bread and butter is corporate training videos, et cetera. They had the best time, this professional crew working on set, each partnered with one of our students, sharing their knowledge, running the 
the dolly, running the, the gaffer, working, um, you know, in Video Village with the editing and the pickup, chatting to the composer. Here was industry professionals sharing their knowledge on a peer-to-peer -peer level. We have great expectations of our students when you're on our set. It's professional. You act in a certain way. There is no get-out-of-jail-free card because you live with disability because that's not what we want. We really want to, to raise the bar because often it comes down to that the community has low expectations of people with disability, particularly those with intellectual disability, and that's a shame and it limits those opportunities but we want to flip that around and say we have high expectations of you we look up to you we want to see you work in a professional way we'll support you and guide you but this is your time to shine this is what you've been learning in class or you put it into practice and part of being part of that ecosystem means that those crew then who had a really positive experience working with our students on that production well then think about next time they're crewing up for a production how about a hire one of those students from Bus Stop Films who's an emerging filmmaker themselves who's got really good experience and skills in filmmaking and get them to come and work on our sets because this is an industry based on relationships and getting to know and crews move project to project. Um, and we're, we're seeing that now um, with our experience at AFTAs that the um, undergraduate film students doing their final year projects are starting to connect with our students to come on board and work with them. So that's really positive. And we're seeing employment pathways open up to bigger productions. We had students working on a Marvel film shooting here in Sydney. We've had students work on um, MasterChef, on Survivor, different projects that come through. I mean, obviously this year COVID, a lot of productions scaled back, um, but things are changing and those employment pathways are really positive. Tracy, you mentioned the, and a really good point because this podcast is all about lifting the lid and having the conversations around, particularly why are the IDs, the intellectually disabled people, why or why is it is it that they're hidden? Why aren't we seeing, like it's easy, and I've often said, you know, it's easy for me being an amputee, it, the conversation is already had in somebody's mind the moment they see me in a pair of shorts. Whereas the intellectually disabled, it is invisible, but we've not helped that. But clearly you're, you've identified that and said, well, let's change that. Yeah. How important and what sort of take up have you had around people with an intellectual disability versus the physical disabilities or other disabilities? What do you, what do you notice? I personally see that people with intellectual disability are often the most marginalised in our community, which is a real shame. And I think it comes down to community expectations. Um, there's a vulnerability to them as well and they haven't been given the ownership and be able to speak for themselves or share their stories, particularly in screen content. Um, we've seen shamefully so able-bodied people, people without intellectual disability playing characters with intellectual disability um, and, you know, that's often been seen as cripping up and a pathway to get that that Oscar has been through those roles, which is a shame and it's a blight on um, the community. And we're, that's flipping. It's a bit of a Me Too movement and there's a change and we're not standing for that any longer. And we've been part to share those stories um, and have people with disability involved in the development of those stories as well as portraying them on screen authentically and owning them. And there's been, um, there's been a shift it's still a long way to go. And I think that um, in terms of there's I and I sometimes I'll see there's an uncomfortableness that you see in some people when they're around others with disability. I've never had that myself. Um, I think growing up with my family, with family friends, and I think it comes down to the relationships you have in your personal life and how that flows over. We've often we will encourage um, filmmakers to look at their circle of network. How diverse is it? 
Who's in your friendship group? Um, form a friendship, form a collaboration, connect. It's about relationships and it's people to people. And I think that makes a big difference. Um, and, um, you know, give people a chance and, and let them show you. Give, believe in them and it, it's so motherhood statement and a bit fluffy but it is so about letting them giving people the skills and the pathways and opportunities to tell their stories and just showcase their talents in creative ways one of our students Audrey O'Connor is an amazing filmmaker and actress and we've just worked with her earlier this year to bring uh, to life a poem that she wrote in high school um, about it's funny enough because we're talking about invisibility it's called it's based on invisibility and about how she felt in in high school that she did feel invisible for the rest of the peers, but also at times when everything was just so horrible, she wished to become invisible. So we've mm -hmm. used that poem. And Paul Lenari stars in the film as well, um, doing his beautiful aerial performance as the other Superman. And that working with Audrey to script out her poem with her coat, with her peers, they wrote it together. Then she starred in it and she was there giving advice to the director and we had students working on both sides of the camera to bring that film to life. It's just so magical. And she she sees the power as a young woman living with Down syndrome that film can change minds and lives and she wants that film to go around the world and we'll be releasing it next year. Um, but outside of bus stop films, the industry doesn't really have those pathways yet. They're coming and the Oscar guidelines changing will be a positive thing. But it's around thinking outside the square, saying why not? And sometimes in mine, it's not because it was awful or horrible, it's a learning experience and you've got to kind of unpick it and move on and take the good bits and refine the bad bits. How do you feel about things like um, the Rain Man film and Dustin Hoffman, <clears throat> you know, which must be 20 or something years ago now? Um, <laughs> yeah, and, of course, autism is such a a fast-growing um, cohort, if you like, and we know so much more about it today than we did then. There's um, there's great shows around now that I've really enjoyed, like Atypical. Um, uh, we we have in Australia, and you would know these people, Employable Me, I Love on the Spectrum. You know, there's been so many fascinating shows to sort of where we where the public, the mainstream uh, community, have been able to meet young people with disabilities and understand their search for love or their search for a job. So we're, we're making good, do you think that's sort of good progress and a lot better than the old Rain Man days where, you know, oh. everyone who's autistic has to be a savant or something? Absolutely. I, um, I think we've evolved as a community and I often think back when I look at um, disability representation on screen, um, one, it's very narrow. Um, Children of the Lesser God is pretty much all I've had to show Aurora around deaf representation for a long time. Beautiful film, but when you're a teenager who's struggling with your deaf identity, you know, you want people that you can relate to and um, that was a bit old for her. But I think of uh, Rain Man and I think back as a teenager, I was absolutely obsessed with Johnny Depp and Leonardo DiCaprio and What's Eating Gilbert Grape. I mean, oh, beautiful, hunky men, gorgeous. But I look back in horror now and think, oh, my gosh, how could we have had Leonardo DiCaprio play that young man with intellectual disability? Why wasn't that authentically cast? Because we know better now. You know, we've evolved past blackface. And I think, um, you know, you talk about your experience, Don, as a body double. Why can't we now with CGI have you play the role as the person with the missing limb and they CGI your leg on to show you before you lost your limb. Like, you know, when we think of born on the 4th of July when he returns from the war and he's missing his limb, we could do that now. Um, I say, you know, Deborah Messing, 
did a whole series of Will and Grace as pregnant, pregnant with child, but that was never written into the script because they used tricky camera angles and filmed around it. So, you know, can we can we use modern technology to flip the authentic casting? And I think seeing um, Employable Me and Love on the Spectrum, my children love watching it because it's like the genre of TV that they enjoy, reality TV. It's not going anywhere whether you love it or hate it. It's, it's, it's what we have now. It's a great way to explore the life of someone with disability and get to know them and um, understand it in the genre that is palatable for you. Um, and it's a different take on documentary. And I think the more that we can see people with disability speaking to their own experiences on the powerful medium that screen is, the better. Tracy, there's a really good reason why I wouldn't get the uh, lead role in, in any movie. However, Body Double suited me just fine for that. Now, let me, uh, I want to throw one at you. Ride like a girl. Love it. Like, I don't know, maybe call me a former sportsman, proud dad, but I was bawling, loved it beyond belief. Obviously, Stevie playing Stevie, that was a, um, for me, it was a, it was a real representation. I thought it was a, a perfect, an absolute perfect uh, movie on so many different levels, mm. to be honest. I loved the film when um, I saw that it was being made. And Rachel Griffith, who um, is the director of that film, is actually our patron. We love her. Mm. And the students really connected to Stevie. They actually made him a Good Luck Stevie video and we sent it along to the set. It was a really powerful moment because... Disability aside, he is a cracker at the role that he, as a strapper. He's so skilled in yeah. what he does. And that relationship between him and Michelle is so critical to the storyline. And it was a no-brainer that he wouldn't be part of it and part of that process of developing the script and the mannerism and how he speaks to his sister and, and you know, working with Teresa Palmer about that relationship and replicating that. Beautifully done, beautifully done. Um, and, you know, to, to Rachel's credit, that was a no-brainer for her as a director that the only person that would play that role would be Stevie himself. Um, and, you know, he, he was a bit of a poster child for our students for that time in, in making Ride Like a Girl. I love it. Um, and, you know, a beautiful Australian story told really well by Australian filmmakers thinking outside the box. But if we sort of go further, because intellectual disability has a big spectrum, um, and Down syndrome is a relatively small part mm. right, of the intellectual disability community, but it's pretty well understood, and Stevie's a great example, and and we most people know what Down syndrome is or they we, we, we see people with Down syndrome around. Um, the more profound level of intellectual disability where people have behaviours and are unable to communicate, et cetera, is a lot harder, right, yeah. to present. It's a lot more confronting for people. You can feel a bit more awkward, not sure about what's going on there um, because as I look at it, Love on the Spectrum and Employable Me, that is just beautiful television, mm -hmm. yeah? But there are a lot of people, you know, who, who aren't able to go and get a job like that, you know, who don't present on camera. They're not quirky. They can't tell you how they're feeling or they wish they could have a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you know. So those stories are harder to tell, Tracy. Uh, absolutely, they're, they're harder to tell, but they're not impossible to tell. And I guess that mm. comes down to yeah. collaboration. We have some of our students who are low verbal or no verbal, and they're still um, active members of the class. They just use different methods to communicate or have different roles. Some of them, um, one student in particular, loves taking photos not very low verbal, but loves and really enjoys being on set, getting doing the Instagram takeover and taking those photos. And I guess um, as creatives, it's our 
job to think outside the box and find ways to connect with and share the stories because everyone does have a story to tell. They might not use words or they might use, um, you know, other forms of communication and as, as creatives and as parents and advocates, it's around working in with them and opening those doors and sharing, you know, helping them to provide the platform that they might want to share their stories or they can share their stories, but definitely there's ways for them to communicate. And, you know, sometimes disability is not always neat as a bow, you know, palatable colour power, you know, 7.30 beautiful family TV viewing. Sometimes it's awkward and hard and raw and challenging and it's intense and it's not always, you know, there's this premise that, oh, people with Down syndrome, they're always so happy. They have shitty days too. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, you yes. know, it's, it's the stereotypes and those myths as well, um, good and yes. bad. Where does it start, Tracy? Does it start with, with us as the public being comfortable with the fact that we're going to get uncomfortable? I think so. And sorry to both of you, but the media has often been brought to us by middle-aged white men and the lens of yep. middle-aged white That's men. That's us. That must be you. That's us. <laughs> <laughs> and we need to flip that. We need to challenge yeah. that and change that so that we see more diversity. And we learn so much from our screens, whether that be gaming or news or films, we learn so much from the very young age up until now and we identify with the families and the people that we see. And we've seen it evolve that we've got, um, you know, when Play School has a presenter, um, Sophia Gollan, um, who is one of my friends who was Play School's first deaf presenter, and we've got other presenters from Indigenous backgrounds and um, same-sex families, and we're changing the what we're seeing and I think that's for the positive because we're going to influence future generations through that and then we get more comfortable with um you know it's not uh, we know now we can go into our local RSL or a restaurant or into a shopping center we might be served by someone that has a disability and it's not there's not it's challenging for us because we you know in years gone by when I was a baby social worker a long time ago um doing my final year university placement at a disability service there was a plaque on the wall which basically said this said organization is established for those that will forever be children because they were seen as people with intellectual disability would forever be children they would never grow up they would never get a job have a relationship get married and it's just you know that was an organization that was established in the the 40s and 50s we've evolved now and we've changed and we say that's not kind it's not considerate and it's not how communities sh should be um and through the medium of film and entertainment and sport and things like running the Paralympic Games at the same time as the other races and intertwining them and seeing, you know, sports people like yourself and Paul and Dylan Orcotts and all my amazing um, deaf sports colleagues doing great stuff and we're changing what the community sees and expects and has been hidden away. Disability, particularly intellectual disability, was hidden away for so long. My mum talks about, you know, she's in her 70s that if you were the family that had the child with an intellectual disability, they were sort of hidden. And then you became hidden as a family from the community. And that's a shame. It's a real travesty on our society that we do that. We completely agree, to be honest, Tracy. And that's the whole reason that, that us two middle-aged white guys yes. decided to have this podcast is because we knew that that's what society was doing. We knew that we could have a role in playing a change for that. So, yeah. you know, people speaking to people like you that are, that are advocates but have got the lived experience that have have got a voice and are willing to use it. And then, of course, all our other guests that, you know, some with intellectual disability, others that are, are so close 
you know, to the movement and, and fighting that change. We love it. So thank you so much for uh, for being a guest for us and uh, for us allowing us to help tell the story, to lift the voice of intellectually disabled. You know, Tracy, you, they say you can't be what you can't see. Um, another phrase that sort of comes to mind is you know, we've all heard you are what you eat, but I think you are much more what you read or see. Right. You know, that's what forms your judgments and your what's normal, what's whatever. And we, we're it's organisations like Bus Stop Films that are changing some of that, challenging some of that so that we see diversity, mm. we see real diversity, we understand the community and um, schools have a part to play in this. You, you, what you're doing there, and I hope what we're doing here at Wallara too is is uh, being more visible, changing perceptions and partnering up with people and collaborations to get those films and stories out there to the mainstream. So that's how we'll change the world. Tracy, it's been lovely meeting you. Um, all, all power to Bus Stop Films. We can't wait for, to see you open up in, in Melbourne. Maybe we can do a collaboration or something. Maybe I'll be auditioning, Phil. This might be the end of us. Oh, absolutely. But you'd have to audition for the students and they're tough. They are very tough critics. <laughs> um, you know, they uh, even our students, if they want to appear in a film, they have to audition in front of their peers. So we we can't oh, wait right. to come to Melbourne. We are there next year. COVID rack off. <laughs> yes, we are there. Please say hi to Genevieve for us, because um, the whole creation of Bus Stop Films, I think, is is marvelous. And uh, you've got a, you guys have got a long way to go. And we look forward to watching your journey and hopefully helping you in any way we can. And um, thanks for being our guest on on Invisibility. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. I will see you both on a red carpet soon.